We're there in uh, James chapter number 2, and tonight uh, we're finishing up chapter 2. We're going to start at verse number 14 and go through uh, the end of the chapter. Uh, This is now our, I think, fifth sermon in the book of James. We've gone through two chapters and five sermons, and uh, we spent two weeks in James chapter 2, or this is the second week in James chapter 2, two weeks in James chapter 1, had kind of an introductory sermon to the book of James. And uh, if you've missed any of those, we do want to encourage you to go on our website and catch up, and uh, so you can get the full study in its context. James chapter 2, the latter part, beginning at verse 14, is one of the most controversial passages in Scripture, especially for Baptists or those of us that believe that salvation is by grace through faith and not of works, and it's uh, stumped many a soul winner. And uh, I want to explain this passage to you and teach it to you. This would be a great sermon uh, to take notes in, and we're going to look at a lot of different passages and compare a lot of different things, so I kind of need you to just, uh, you know, pay attention and stay with me. I'll try to go as quickly as I can, but there's a lot of information to go over. Keep your finger there in James chapter 2, and I want you to just very quickly go with me to the book of Titus. Now, if you're going backwards from James, if you're going backwards, you're going to go past, uh, of course, Hebrews and Philemon, and then you'll find Titus. Go to Titus chapter number 3, and I want you to look at verse number 5. I just want to show you a couple of verses just to lay a foundation uh, before we get into James. But I want you to understand that our church believes and our position is that the Bible teaches that we are not saved by works. Now, I know James chapter 2, you say, well, we just read that. That's kind of what it sounded like. And we're going to get into that in a minute. But Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 says this. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that we are saved by the regenerating power of the Holy Ghost. And that happens by the mercy of God. We are saved by His mercy. But what I want you to key in on is it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. We are not saved by the works that we do. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. I know you know it, but let's look at it together. Ephesians chapter 2, if you're there in Titus, you go past 1st and 2nd Timothy, past 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, past Colossians, Philippians, into the book of Ephesians. When you get to Ephesians, uh, do me a favor and put a bulletin there or a bookmark or a ribbon. We're going to leave Ephesians and then we're going to come back to it towards the end of the sermon. So you'll know we're almost done when we get back to Ephesians. But look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. I know you... Many of you have it memorized, and that's good, but let's look at it together. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, the Bible says this, For by grace. Now the word grace means free. It's unmerited. It's something I do not deserve. It's something I did not earn. He says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. Now, the Calvinists like to throw away this idea of faith, and they say it's all grace. You know, it's, it's grace that saves you. It's the grace of God that chose you. But notice the Bible teaches that it's God's grace, but that grace comes to us through the pathway of faith. You cannot have grace without faith. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. The salvation is not something that you produce. We do not save ourselves. It's not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. Notice verse 9. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, I want you to remember this idea of boast, okay? He says it's not of works, lest any man should boast. The word boast means to 
brag or to be able to bring, you know, attention to myself in the fact that I'm doing something great. And here's what the Bible says. The reason that we are not saved by works, by the works of righteousness, by the things we do, the reason we are not saved because I go to church or I live a good life or I repented of my sins or I got baptized or, or I read the Bible, those are all great things to do. But the reason we are not saved by works is because if we were saved by works, we'd all be running around bragging on ourselves and say, well, here's why I'm going to go to heaven because I used used to be a drunkard and I used to be a, you know, a, a drug addict and I used to do this and I used to do that, but now look at me. And God says, it's not about that. See, it's not about you. You're not saved by the things you do. It's not the fact that you brought this on yourself. He said, it's by grace, through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So the idea is that we are not saved of works. That's clear throughout Scripture. We'll look at it a little more in a minute. But go to James chapter number 2. Now, we're going to go through all the verses from verse 14 through 26, but I want to start in verse number 21 because I want to just go ahead and answer the question uh, before we get into the actual teaching of James. And I want to just go ahead and tell you and explain to you what James chapter 2 is not teaching. Because people like to take James 2 and say, you need works in order to be saved. And I want to teach you what James chapter 2 is not teaching. James chapter 2 is not teaching that works is needed for salvation. Let me say that again. James chapter 2 is not teaching that works is needed for salvation. Now, in James 2, we are given two examples to kind of that, that people like to use to say that we need works in order to be saved. The first example is that of Abraham. Look at James chapter 2 and verse number 21. James 2.21 says this, Was not Abraham our father? Now here's the phrase, okay? Now I want you to remember this phrase, justified by works, okay? James 2.21 says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? The Bible teaches that when Abraham offered his son upon the altar, he at that moment was justified by works. Now listen, we cannot get into this mode that fundamental Baptists sometimes like to get into where we just kind of ignore things or we put them in a different disposition, you know, dispensation if they kind of sound like they might not go exactly with what we say. The Bible says here that Abraham was justified by works. There's nothing wrong with that. The Bible is perfect. It is God's Word. James is inspired by God. It says exactly what God wants it to say. So was Abraham justified by works? Yes, he was. When? When he offered Isaac a son upon the altar. That's what the Bible says. Now, go with me to Romans chapter number 4. And when you get to Romans, put your finger in Romans, because we're going to be going back and forth between Romans, James, and the book of Genesis. Romans chapter 4, and look at verse number 1. James 2 tells us that Abraham was justified by works when he offered Isaac a son upon the altar. But before we get into that, let's talk about this. When was Abraham justified by faith? All right? In, James, in Romans chapter 4 and verse 1, the apostle Paul brings up Abraham. And in verse 1, he says this. What shall we say then that Abraham, 
our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found. All right. Now, here's why he brings up Abraham. Abraham is the patriarch. In fact, there's three people in Scripture called the patriarch, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham is the one that kind of started this whole thing. If you go back to Genesis and read the book of Genesis, you'll find the creation story and some stories that we kind of need to give context to the world, the Noahic flood and all those things. But when God begins to deal with mankind, he really begins with this man named Abraham. So Paul, as he's writing the book of Romans, goes back to Abraham and he asks this question, what shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? So here's what he's saying. He's saying, what was it that Abraham found? What was it that Abraham got? And what, why are we, you know, what got this whole thing started, this whole God thing and Bible thing and Messiah thing? What, what was it about Abraham? Now look at verse 2. He says, for if. Now, if you like to underline things in your Bible or circle things, I would underline or circle that word if. That's a big if there, all right? Now, you have to understand the way that Paul writes. He often writes in a way where he kind of answers the critic before they even, uh, you know, ask the question. He's playing the devil's advocate. He's not saying that the next statement is true, but he's just kind of wondering out loud. And he's saying, if Abraham were, now I want you to make note of this phrase, justified by works. Do you see that? That's the same phrase we found in James 2.21. James 2.21 says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Now, in Romans 4, it says, If Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory. Now, if you study the word glory in Scripture, you will find that when people are glorying in something, they're basically bragging or boasting or showing off. Now remember Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says what? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should glory, or boast, or brag. Do you understand? Now notice what he says in verse 2. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Why? Because no one has anything to glory of before God. Because no one has anything to brag about before God. In fact, if you flip over one page to Romans 3.23, the Bible says this, For all have sinned and come short of the what? Glory of God. So Romans 3.23 says, Hey, we all come short of the glory of God. Romans 4.2 says, If Abraham were justified by works, he hath to wear up to glory. He already told us in Romans 3.23, We all come short of the glory of God, but not before God. So he, he says, If Abraham was justified by work, he would have something to brag about. He would have something to glory about. He would have something to boast about. But he says, Of course we know that not before God, because no one can glory before God. Now here's what I want you to understand. Okay, Here's what we've learned so far. From Romans chapter 4. Here's what we've learned. No one is justified by works before God. I mean, look at verse 4 again. If Abraham were justified by works, he had to uh, wear up to glory, but not before God. So no one's justified by works before God. Now, I did not say that people were not justified by works. Because James 2.21 tells us that Abraham was justified by works. But here's what James 2.21 doesn't tell us. That Abraham was justified by works before God. Do you understand what I'm saying? James 2.21 says Abraham was justified by works when he offered Isaac a son upon the altar. Romans 4.2 says Abraham was not justified by works. You say, is that a contradiction? Here's the key. Here's the key. Abraham was not justified by works before God. 
And when Abraham was justified by works, it was before someone else. And we'll look at that here in a second. Look at verse 3, though, Romans chapter 4 and verse 3. For what saith the Scripture? So now he says, well, what does the Bible say? Let's get into what the Bible says. And here he quotes the book of Genesis. Abraham believed, that's faith, God, and it. It is referring to his faith. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. Verse 4. Now to him that worketh. Okay, so he's saying the guy that's working to get himself saved. Okay, and here's what that means. If you're working, then you're earning it. If I get a paycheck, that was not a gift that my employer gave me. I earned that paycheck. I worked for that paycheck. So here's what he says. Verse, uh, verse 4. Now to him that worketh is the reward. The reward is what you get, what you earn whether it's a paycheck or whether it's a gift of salvation, the reward is not reckoned. Okay, the reckon's not, a, reckon's not a word we use, especially in California. Maybe if you're a southerner, you might say, well, I reckon, you know. But, uh, or if you're, you know, um, you know, what was that guy from the cartoon, Sam something? Didn't he say, I reckon, right? Um, so anyway, that shows you how much I watch TV. But uh, reckon, the word reckon means to establish something. It means to calculate. Now, here's what he's saying, okay? is the reward if you're working for it. Look at verse 4. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned or established of grace. Here's what he's saying. If you can work for it, then it's not of grace. Because here's what he's saying. Grace is free. Grace is undeserved. Grace is not earned. So he says, if, it's, if you work for it, then it's not established. It's not calculated. It's not given to you of grace, but of debt. Why? Because debt is a payment. You understand? Look at verse 5. But to him that worketh not. Now, I want you to understand what he's saying, okay? He did not say to him that worketh a little. He did not say to him that worketh some. He said to him that worketh not. This guy did nothing. He never went to church. He never got baptized. He never went soul winning. Never read his Bible. Did absolutely nothing but here's what he did do, believeth on him that justified the ungodly. Okay, so here's the question. Here's a man who did no works, but he believed, all right? What was the result of that? Look at the last part of verse 5. His faith is counted for righteousness. Amen. Now, here's the thing. Those who advocate that James 2 teaches that you must have works in order to have faith, Ignore this passage because basically what they say is you cannot have faith without works. But in Romans chapter number 4 and in verse number 5, the Bible says that you can have a guy that worketh not, but he believes, but he has faith, and his faith is counted for righteousness. So according to the book of Romans, can you have faith without works? And the answer is yes. And that faith will be counted unto you for righteousness. Look at verse 6. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness, don't miss this, without works. How is David saved? Without works. How is Abraham saved? Without works. How are you saved? Without works. It's not, it's not this dispensational, in the Old Testament they got saved by keeping the law. No, the Bible says that David was saved, also describing the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Look at verse 7, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven. Here's what it means to have your, your, uh, you to be imputed the righteousness of God. Whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Verse 8, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Verse 9, now here's what he says, and here's what I want you to cue in on, all right? Come at this blessedness. Then upon the circumcision or upon the uncircumcision. 
He's saying, is this for those who are circumcised or uncircumcised? He's saying, Gentiles or Jews? Now, notice what he says. For we say that faith, okay, not works, faith, was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. So he says, look, faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. This is how Abraham got his righteousness, by faith. Verse 11. And he received the sign of circumcision. Remember, Abraham was circumcised, right? Now, he received that sign of circumcision a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet, underline this word or circle this word, being uncircumcised. Okay, I, I, I don't want you to, I don't want to lose you. Here's what the Bible is saying. Abraham received the righteousness imputed unto him through his faith when he was uncircumcised, before he was circumcised. Now, later on, he, was, he received circumcision as a seal. The Bible says that he received uh, the, the seal of circumcision. Um, where am I? Good night. I already lost my place. Look, verse 10. How was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, verse 10, but in uncircumcision. So here's what it's saying. Faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness when he was not circumcised. I mean, is that clear, verse 10? Look at it again. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. Verse 11. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, when he, was, when he had yet uh, being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. Verse 12. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, don't miss this, which he had. What did he have? He had that faith. They walk in the steps of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. Do you see that? So when did Abraham possess the faith that saved him? The faith that brought the righteousness of God upon him when he was uncircumcised. Now you say, well, why does that matter? It's important because that gives us a time frame. Go, go to Genesis. Keep your finger there in Romans. We're going to come back to Romans. Go to Genesis chapter 17. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 4 that Abraham had his faith imputed unto him for righteousness. Abraham was justified by faith before he was circumcised. Genesis 17 and verse 24. Genesis 17 and verse 24 tells us when Abraham was circumcised. Because the question is this. If Abraham had faith while he was yet in uncircumcision, before he'd been circumcised, then we can ask the question, when was Abraham circumcised? And if we know when he was circumcised, then we know that he had the righteousness, the faith before that moment. Are you following what I'm saying? Genesis 17, look at verse 24. Even if you're not, just nod your head or something, all right? Encourage me. Genesis 17, look at verse 24. And Abraham was 90 years old and nine. He was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. You see that? Here's what we know. Abraham was circumcised at the age of 99. Here's what we know. Romans 4 tells us that Abraham had the faith that was imputed unto him for righteousness before he was circumcised. So here's what we know. Abraham was saved before he was 99 years old. So well, why does that matter? Well, it matters because we need to understand when was Abraham saved. Now, here's the thing. 
We know that he was saved before he was 99 years old, but honestly, he was probably saved closer to like 75 years old. Go to Genesis chapter 12 and look at verse number 1. Genesis 12, where you kind of begin the real story of Abraham. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, you have that, you know, what's known as the Abrahamic covenant and God calling Abraham. We're not going to take the time to read all of that, but look at verse 1, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. The Bible says this, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land which I will show thee. And he's telling him that he's going to give him all these blessings. Just skip down to verse number four. It's what I want you to see in verse four. You can read the whole thing in in context, um, you know, later on if you'd like. Verse four says this. So Abraham departed, because remember, God told him to get thee out of thy country from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land which I shall show thee. Verse four. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham, now don't miss this, was 70 and five years old when he departed out of Haran. So when God called Abraham, that Abrahamic, you know, covenant was established where he said, get, get out of this land, I'm going to give you a land, and I'm going to, you know, give you a seed, and I'm going to do all these things for you. When that happened, Abraham, the Bible tells us, was 75 years old. Now skip down to verse number 8. You can read the rest in the context if you'd like, but I, we don't have time to deal with it, but look at verse 8, okay? And he removed from thence. Now we know from the context that he's 75 years old. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent and having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar, an altar unto the Lord. Now don't miss this phrase. And called upon the name of the Lord. When God called Abraham out of Haran at the age of 75, the Bible says in that time frame that Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. Now you say, well, why does that matter? Go back to Romans chapter 10. I know you know this, but let's look at it together. Romans chapter 10, look at verse 13. Did you keep your place in Romans? Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, the Bible says this, For whosoever, Abraham, you, me, David, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So according to the Bible, when did Abraham call upon the name of the Lord? Probably around the age of 75 years old. According to the Bible, at the age of 75 years old, he called upon the name of the Lord. We know that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then we know this, for sure, for sure, without a shadow of a doubt, we know that the faith that he had, which was imputed unto him as righteousness from God, and his iniquities were forgiven, and all those things. All of that happened before he was circumcised, and we know he was circumcised at the age of 99 years old. So here's what we know. Abraham was justified by faith before God, probably around the age of 75 old, but definitely before the age of 99 years old. Say, okay, why does all that matter? Here's why it matters. Go back to James chapter 2. Look, look at verse 21. And we're going to come back to Genesis. So you keep your place in Genesis, Romans, James 2, 21. James 2, 21. The Bible says this. James chapter 2 and verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? When? Now here's the key word. When? Because when has given us a time frame. When he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar. So according to James 2.21, when was Abraham justified by works? He was justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar. Now, the story of Abraham uh, offering his son upon the altar is a very famous story found in Genesis chapter 22. 
In fact, let's go there just real quickly if you get back to Genesis 22. Remember, we looked at it when we were talking about diverse temptations. Genesis 22, look at verse 1, Genesis chapter 22, and verse number 1. The Bible says this, and I know this is things we've preached before, but we're in James. We have to cover it, and then we're going to get into some, uh, some other things here in a minute. But I just want to make the point very clearly. Genesis 22, verse 21, I'm sorry, Genesis 22, verse 1, the Bible says this, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon the mountain, which I will tell thee of. Now, you say, what is God doing? Abraham had all these years where he had, you know, God is promising him a son, promising him a son, promising a son. God finally gives him a son, and then God goes to him and says, I want you to sacrifice your son. And it was a test. Remember, God did tempt Abraham. And you say, well, how did Abraham respond? Look at verse uh, 3. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told. No complaints, no back-talking, no saying, now wait, wait a minute, God. You, I mean, good night. You just gave me the son. I've been waiting all these years. None of that. God comes to Abraham and says, sacrifice your son. The Bible says he got up early the next day, saddled his ass. Look at verse 4. Then on the third day, now you've got to understand, all of this is a picture of Jesus. You've got the father who's going to walk up to a mountain and sacrifice his son. Look at verse uh, 4. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto the young man, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Now, in Hebrews, we won't take the time to look at it, but in Hebrews we're told that Abraham believed that God had the power to resurrect Isaac. Abraham believed that he was going to go up to the mountain kill his son, and God was going to resurrect him. And that is shown here when Abraham says to the the servants there, verse 5, and Abraham said unto his young man, Abide ye here with the ass, and I, notice, and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. He says, I and the lad are going to come again to you. Look at verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. Now I want you to see this. And laid it upon Isaac, his son. So he puts the wood upon his son Isaac. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. So here you have the father putting wood, which is going to be used to sacrifice the son, on the back of his son. And then he's made to walk up this mountain. This is a picture of the death of Jesus Christ, how he had to carry that cross up the mountain, Golgotha, verse 7. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? So Isaac, Isaac doesn't know what's going on. He says, Dad, I see the fire. I see the wood. I see the knife. I see that look on your face, you know. But uh, where is the animal that we're going to sacrifice? Look at verse 7. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. He said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. And that's a prophetic statement talking about Jesus would later on come and John would say, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. In this story, God did not provide a lamb. He provided a ram, which was a substitution, but that lamb was to come. God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. Verse 9, And they came to the place which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Now listen, Isaac's not a baby here. He's helping carry the wood. He's helping with the load. He's talking. He's walking. 
And he submits to his father and allows, notice verse 9 again, and they came to the place which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son. He submitted to be put to death by his father and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called. Abraham's getting ready to plunge that knife into his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And let me tell you something. There are things in your life that you love, and God is going to test you to see if you're willing to sacrifice those things. And unfortunately, many of us choose our children or our wife or our job or our hobbies above God, and we fail those tests. This was one of the greatest stories of faith. A man willing to trust God so much and say, I believe that God will resurrect my son, that I'm willing to put him to death. And of course, God never had him put him to death. He stopped him. But he said, now I know that you will sacrifice your son. You won't withhold your son from me. Now you say, well, well what's all this about? Now here's what you're going to say. This is the, if you talk about like the highlight of Abraham's life, Genesis 22, that's it. That's the greatest story about Abraham um, that you can find. I mean, that is exceptional faith in regards to Abraham. Now, here's what you're going to understand, okay? We read that in Genesis 22. Go to Genesis 21. Look at verse 5. In Genesis chapter 21, which is obviously before Genesis 22. In Genesis 21 and verse 5, the Bible says this. And Abraham was 100 years old. Okay, now... Remember Romans 4 says that Abraham was saved before his circumcision. And Romans 4 says that Abraham was, circ- uh, I'm sorry, uh, Genesis told us, uh, 17, that Abraham was circumcised at the age of 99. So Abraham got saved before this chapter. Now in Genesis 21 verse 5, the Bible tells us that Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. So when Isaac was born, was Abraham already saved? He'd probably been saved for like 25 years because he probably got saved at the age of 75 or close to it when he called upon the name of the Lord. But at 99, he was circumcised, and we know for sure he was saved before his circumcision. At 100 years old, his son Isaac was born. In Genesis 22, we have the story we just read where he almost sacrificed his son. In Genesis 23, in verse 1, Sarah dies. Now you say, well, why is, it, is, is that important? Look at Genesis 23 and verse 1. And Sarah was 107 and 20 years old. Sarah was 127 years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Why does that matter? Here's why it matters. Go back to Genesis 17 and verse 17. Genesis 17 and verse 17. Notice what the Bible says. Genesis 17 and verse 17. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart. This is a whole other story. We're not going to get into it. I just want you to see what it says in verse 17. And Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him? Talking about Abraham. He's laughing about the fact that God said they're going to have a baby. And here's what he says. Shall a child be born unto him that is 100 years old? And shall Sarah that is 90 years old bear? Okay, so here's what Genesis 17, 17 tells us. Abraham was 10 years older than Sarah. He says, I'm 100 years old. How am I going to have a baby? And my wife, she's 90 years old. Is she really going to bear a child? Here's what we know. 
Abraham was 10 years older than Sarah. Here's what we know. Genesis 21, Abraham is 100 years old. Genesis 22, Sarah is 127 years old when she died. That would mean that Abraham in Genesis 23 was 137 years old. So here's what we know. The events of Genesis 22 happened within the time frame of Abraham being 100 to 137 years old. say, why does that matter? Here's why it matters. Because Abraham was probably saved at the age of 75. And Genesis 22 probably happened decades after his salvation when he called upon the name of the Lord. Say, well, why does that matter? Here's why it matters. He was justified by works at probably around the age of 130. Because Isaac was older. He was walking around. He was talking. He was helping. If it's a picture of Jesus Christ, uh, I heard Pastor Anderson say this a while ago, and I, I, I agree with it. You know, um, Isaac was probably around the age of 30, 33 years old, because that's the age that Jesus was when he died. You say, well, they called him a lad, but in the Bible, you have grown men going to war being called a lad, okay? So you can't really take that. But here's the point. When Abraham was justified by works in Genesis 22, we can prove it in Scripture is years, decades probably, and for sure, we know for a fact that he was justified by works after he was already saved. So he was justified by saved, and then later on, he was justified by works. And we learn from Romans 4 that you, no one is justified by works in the sight of God. Genesis 22, Abraham is 99, uh, I'm sorry, 100 years old. Genesis 23, I'm sorry, Genesis 21, he's 99, 100 years old. Genesis 23, he's 137 years old. So the events of Genesis 22 happened between the ages of 99, 137. He's probably closer to like 130 because um, Isaac was probably a young man in his late 20s or 30s or whatever. All right? Go back to James chapter 2. I, I know we're, we're going to get out of this here in a second, but I just need to make, make all these statements. In James chapter 2, so here's what we learn about Abraham. He, when he was justified by faith and when he was justified by works were two separate events. And they were, they were separated by years and probably decades. Okay. Now in James chapter 2, we're given a second example. The example of Rahab the harlot. Look at James chapter 2, verse 21. Likewise, because he just talked about Abraham. So he says, likewise, or in the same way as Abraham... Also, was not Rahab the harlot, notice, justified by works. Okay, when was Rahab the harlot justified by works? Notice, when, that's the key word, so we know exactly when she was justified by works. When she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. So when Rahab, do you remember the story of of, of Rahab the harlot? Okay, let's go to Joshua, just real quickly. Joshua chapter 2, Joshua chapter 2, Joshua chapter 2, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2, look at verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out to Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into the harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. Remember, Joshua sends two spies into Jericho to check out the land. And they lodged and they stayed with this woman, a harlot, whose name was Rahab. And remember, she hid them from the 
soldiers coming, and she let them out the window with a red cord. And we know that that whole story went off. And if she had put that red cord out, they weren't going to kill her when they came into Jericho. And everybody that was in that house would be saved. And that's a picture of Jesus Christ. Everyone who's in Christ, every, the red cord is a picture of the blood. Everyone who is covered by the blood is safe when judgment comes. But if you're not in Christ, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter if you knew Rahab. It doesn't matter. You're going to die when judgment comes. You must be in Christ. That's the picture there. But look at verse 9. I want you to notice what Rahab said. Joshua chapter 2, verse 9. And she said unto the men, okay? So she's already received them. She's already hid them. Notice what she said unto them. I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and, when you did, and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites. Now look, she's talking about the Red Sea being, uh, being dried up. These are events that happened 40 years ago. Remember, they crossed the Red Sea and then they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They didn't enter Canaan land until after Moses died and, you know, Joshua led them in there. So she's talking about things. This is old news. And notice what she says. We have heard, verse 10. How the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. Verse 11. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For, now notice what she says. Look at the last phrase in verse number 11. For, the word for means because. She says, here's why. Here's why we were so scared. Here's why we were without courage. Here's why our hearts did melt. For the Lord your God, He is God. Now listen to me. Rahab was already a believer when the spies showed up. She already believed. It's not like she let them in and they got her saved. It's not like she let them in and they said, let us tell you about the Lord our God. Let us tell you about how He parted the Red Sea for her. Let us tell you about how He defeated Sihon and Og. Let us tell you about all the, all the wonderful works of God. No, no, no. They showed up and she says to them, I know about your God and I believe that He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Rahab was already saved when the spies showed up. But she was justified by works when she received the spies. So guess what? Rahab, just like Abraham, was justified by faith at a separate time than she was justified by works. So again, just like Abraham, we see justification by faith and justification by works as being two separate events. Can you get back to James chapter 2? Look at verse 17. Here's what I want you to understand. We are justified by faith in the eyes of God. And we are justified by works in the eyes of men. We are justified by faith in the eyes of God. And we are justified by works in the eyes of men. James chapter 2 and verse 17 says this. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Now let me just show you one more thing, okay? And I mean, I'm going to show you a lot of things here in the next 10 minutes. It's 8 p.m. We have 15 minutes and we can get this done, okay? I want you to notice, the first thing I want you to understand is James chapter 2 was not teaching that works is required for faith, okay? But there's another thing that James chapter 2 is not teaching. James chapter 2 is not teaching that faith without works is non-existent. I want you to notice verse 17. Faith, if it hath not works, is dead. 
Okay, that's a statement. The Bible says, if you have faith, but you don't have works, your faith is dead. Look at verse 20. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Now look at verse 26, the last verse in the chapter. Okay, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now I want you to notice the illustration. He's given us illustrations to help us understand. Notice what he says. He says, a body... He gives us a description of death. Here's what death means. Your body without the spirit is dead. In the Bible, you will find throughout scriptures where it says that men gave up the ghost. They dismissed the ghost. And as soon as your spirit leaves your body, according to the Bible, you're dead. The the body is dead. Because notice what he says. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Okay, so if I dismiss my spirit right now, and I don't have the ability to do that, you know, but if I did, that'd be weird. (laughs) But if I dismiss my spirit right now, I died, okay? Is my body alive? Am I losing you? You guys are already bored. All right. If my spirit leaves my body, am I dead? No. That was a trick question. Am I dead? Yes. Okay. Am I alive? No. All right? But here's the thing. Did I stop existing I'm pretty sure when people die, you take their bodies and you do something with it, don't you? Does the Bible say that as the body without the spirit is non-existent? It says as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So here's the question. Can you have faith without works? Well, Romans 4 tells us that you can. Because to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the godly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Okay. You say, well, it's dead. Okay, but does that mean it doesn't exist? Show me a verse in the Bible where it says your faith must be alive in order for you to be saved. No, it doesn't say that. All it says is you need faith. Well, your faith is dead. Well, as long as I've got it, I'm saved. See, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So here's what James 2 is not teaching. Because here's what they want to try to say. They say, if you don't have works, then you don't have faith. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you can have faith without works. Your faith is dead, but you have it. And you say, well, what do I need to be saved? Faith. Whosoever shall believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14. You say, so, so here's what I want you to say. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is still existing, though. Here's what James chapter 2 is teaching. Look, look at verse 14. We'll, we'll finish up here. We're going to finish up. We'll be, we'll be good. James 2, 14. Notice what it says. What does the prophet, my brother, though a man, I want you to cue it on these words, say he hath faith. And have that works. Can faith save it? We talked about what, what does James chapter 2 not teaching? Here's what James chapter 2 is not teaching. James chapter 2 is not teaching that you need faith, that you need works with your faith to be saved. James chapter 2 is not teaching that if you, do not have, if you do not have works, then you do not have faith. In fact, it teaches the opposite. That justification of works and justification of faith are two different things. And if you don't have works, your faith is dead. It's inactive. It's not doing anything, but it's still there. Now, here's what James chapter 2 is teaching, okay? It's teaching us that faith without works profit no one or helps no one. Look at James 2, 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Now, in verse 15, he gives us an illustration. I love the illustrations that James gives because he helps us understand. He says, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food. He said, a brother or sister, they have no clothes and they're hungry. They're cold and they're hungry. And one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Here's what he's saying. If you say to someone, Hey, be warm and filled. 
I want you to be warm and I want you to be full. But you don't give them clothes or you don't feed them? Are they still going to be cold and hungry? The answer is yes. You say, you, if you say to someone, hey, be warm and filled, but you do not clothe or feed them. Did you profit them? Did you help them? Are they any better off as a result of your words? The answer is no. Because faith without works is unprofitable. It helps no one. It does nothing for anyone. It's like looking at someone who's cold and hungry and saying, I hope you get warm and I hope you get filled. And then you go on your merry way. You did nothing for them. You helped them without anything. See, James chapter 2 is teaching that faith without works profits no one. James chapter 2 is also teaching that faith without works does not produce a good testimony. Look at verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say? Now, he's talking about what men will say. Okay, is he saying what God will say? No. Though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say, you say unto them, depart in peace, and be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding, give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? How did you help them? Verse 17. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Verse 18. Yea, a man may say. Thou hast faith, and I have work. Now, here's what he's saying. Here's what people are going to say to you. You can say, thou hast faith, and I have works, but they're going to say, show. Okay, the word show means I want to see it. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Okay, here's the question. Go, go to Hebrews chapter 11. Just the one book before James, Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, we find the definition of faith. I want you to notice what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is not seen. Faith is invisible. Faith cannot be seen. So in James 2.18, he says, hey, you try to show me your faith without your works? And he said, you won't be able to do it because I can't see your faith. He said, I will show you my faith by my works. Because the only way that man can see our faith is by the things that we do. Now, it doesn't say God sees your faith. It says over and over, verse 14, a man may say, verse 15, uh, 16, uh, one of you say, verse 18, a man may say. He's talking about your testimony, and he says, you can go around and tell people all day long, I'm saved, I'm a believer, I believe in Jesus. And guess what? You may be saved, and you may be a believer, and you may be on your way to heaven, but they're going to look at you and say, you're a hypocrite, I don't believe you. Look at the way you're living your life. Because a man may say, show me your faith. And you can't show something that's not seen. And the only way they can see it is by your works. Look at verse 21. Here's the other thing that James chapter 2 is teaching. Faith without works does not produce mature Christians. Faith without works does not produce mature Christians. Look at verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by faith when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Look at verse 22. Seest thou how faith wrought? The word wrought means to work. So he's saying, do you see how his faith worked together or worked alongside with his work? And by works, I don't want you to miss this phrase, by works was faith made perfect. You say, how was his faith made perfect? By works. Okay, go go to Ephesians chapter 4. Remember I told you when we get to Ephesians, we're almost done? Okay, we're almost done, all right? Ephesians chapter 4. This word perfect in in our King James Bible does not mean the same thing you and I think today. 
We think of perfect and we think of someone who makes no mistakes, okay? That's righteous, you know. There is none that doeth good. There is none righteous, no, not one, okay? The word perfect in the Bible means to be complete or whole, to come to fruition, to mature, to grow. Throughout the Gospels, you will find that Jesus made people whole. He made them perfect because he gave them their sight back. Does that mean that he made them so that they were sinless? No, he just made them complete. He made them how they were supposed to be, how a grown adult male or female is supposed to be. That's what the word perfect means. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Let me give you one example. Verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Here's why he gave you a pastor. Here's why he gave you a teacher. Why he said, why did God give me a church? Why did God give me a pastor? Why do I come to a Wednesday night Bible study? Why do I come on Sunday morning? Why do I come on Sunday night? Why What are the purpose for all these things? Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. Verse 13, till we all come to the unity and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure, talking about, you know, growing up, of the stature, talking about growing up, this is what you tell children, right? You're going to grow up. We're going to measure you. And when you are an adult, you know, you're going to be a certain size. And some of us didn't really get there, you know, whatever. But, you know, here's what he says. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what does the word perfect mean? It means you, were, you are brought up to maturity, You are now mature. You're a perfect man. You are the right measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. You are complete. You are whole. Now go back to James chapter 2. Notice what the Bible says. James 2.22. Because remember, what is James about? It's about maturing as a Christian. It's about growing up. It's about not being a child anymore. And he says in James 2.22, Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made complete, whole, mature, perfect. See, God did not just save you so that you can skip out on hell. That's just part of it. God saved you so that you can grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. We are to teach you to observe all things. We are supposed to help you mature and grow and become that Christian, that complete whole individual, but let me tell you something, you will never, you will never be the mature Christian that God has called you to be without works. So, well, can I still go to heaven? Yeah. Because you are justified by faith the moment you believe on Jesus Christ. But you are justified by works in the sight of men when you begin to do, when you begin to apply, when you begin to live the life that is being taught to you. Let's look at two passages. We'll be done. Go back to Romans chapter 3. Look at verse 28. Here's what we've learned tonight. Being justified by faith and being justified by works are two different things. We are justified by faith in the eyes of God. And that has nothing to do with our works. And we are justified by works in the eyes of men. Because a man may say, and a man may ask, and a man's going to say, show me your faith. And it's all about maturing us and growing us and bringing us to a place where we are what God wants us to be. But I want you to notice, notice Romans 3.28. Romans 3.28 says this, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith. Don't miss this. A man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. The word deeds means actions. Say, how am I justified by faith? Without works. 
without the deeds of the law. I mean, did you catch that? Romans 3.28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. But when are you justified by works? When men and women and people around you see the work that you're doing? See, you say, you say well, you, I thought you guys see the salvation by grace through faith. Salvation is not of works, but I don't know if you've been paying attention. I mean, we preach a lot about works. We go around telling people, you have to do nothing to be saved. And then they get saved, and they come to church, and we tell them, you got to be here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. you got to go soul winning, read your Bible, tie. You say, why do you do that? Because you're not saved by works, but God saved you for good works. Because you're not saved by works, but God wants you to work. God wants you to grow. God wants you to mature. You know, people say, well, you guys are people, you're, when you teach eternal security, you're giving people a license to sin. It's funny because we tell people you're saved. It doesn't matter nothing of what you do. You can never lose your salvation. And then you come here and we tell you don't drink, don't smoke, don't be in fornication, don't be in adultery, live for God. You say, well, I thought I didn't have to do anything. You don't, but you should. You, you say, well, I'm not saved by works. But you will be justified by works in the eyes of men. And you will come to maturity as you work. Say, well, I'm justified by faith in the eyes of God. I'm justified by works in the eyes of men. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're done right here. We'll look at three verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll look at three verses. It's 8.13. I can do this in two minutes. We'll be done. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse 13. You say, well, we still have to sing a song. You take that up with Brother Clint, all right? <laughs> That's not my problem. We are justified. Here's what we learned. Being justified by faith and being justified by works are two different things. We are justified by faith in the eyes of God. We are justified by works in the eyes of men. Both examples, Abraham and Rahab, were two different events. They were saved at a different time than they were justified by works. Okay? And here's the last thing man, I want to make. You do not have to be justified by works in order to be justified by faith. Let me say that again. You do not ever have to be justified by works in order to be justified by faith. People say, well, if you're, fa- if you're saved, the works will follow. They don't have to. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 13, I won't take the time to read the whole thing. It's about the judgment seat of Christ. It's about the, the judgment that we will stand at before Jesus, where believers will stand before Christ. And notice what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 13 says this, Every man's work shall be made manifest. It's going to be seen. We're going to be able to see it, okay? For that day shall declare it. The day of judgment is going to declare all our works, your works, my works, because it shall be revealed by fire. Now, I don't really understand how this is going to go down, but here's what the Bible tells us. And the fire shall try. The word try means to test or put on trial. The fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So here's what's going to happen at the judgment seat of Christ. God is going to take all the work I've ever done, all the things I've done, all, you know, every sermon I ever preached, every, you know, gospel presentation I ever gave, every time I help with, you know, getting the chairs put away for the sewing seminar after the sermon, you know, whatever. All the things that I did, God's going to, you know, the business that you build, the work you do in your secular job, you know, all the things you've done with your kids, God's going to take all of those works, Put them in the fire. Some of them are of eternal value and they're precious stones and silver and gold. And some of them are of temporal value, wood, hay, and stubble. And those things that have no value are going to burn up. And whatever's left, God is going to reward you. Notice verse 13. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 14. If any man's work abide, meaning if your work survives the fire which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. So God's going to take everything you've ever done in your life, put it in the flames. He's going to burn it up. Whatever is left, he's going to give you a reward for the work that you did. 
Verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned. So there's a guy that everything he did, he did nothing of eternal value. He did nothing for God ever. Everything was selfish. Everything was self-centered. Everything was for the wrong motives. He did nothing for God. It's the same guy we read about in Romans chapter 4. Him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the God. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved. So as by fire. See, you say, well, I need works. The Bible says that you can get to heaven and all your works burn up. See, do you understand this? There are good Christian people, saved people, all throughout this country that are going to churches and doing nothing for God. Never knock a door. Never serve. Never do anything. And one day, everything in their lives is about them, about their family, about their career. They're self-centered. They're selfish. And one day, they're going to get to heaven, and God's going to burn everything they've ever done up. And he's going to say, you did nothing for me, but guess what? You're saved. Because you can be f- saved. You can be justified by faith and never be justified by works. But it will be better for you, and it will be better for me, if I could be justified by faith and be justified by works. Because faith gets me into heaven, works gets me the rewards. So so, so what's the challenge for tonight? The challenge for tonight is this. Get to work. Does work save us? No. Do I have to work to go to heaven? No. No. But you do have to work to have a good testimony. You do have to work to be a perfect and mature Christian. You do have to work to get rewards. You don't have to work to get to heaven, but you do have to work to be right with God. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer.